With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the New News Podcast. As always, I'm Sandy. I'm joined with Andrew today. Uh, unfortunately, Josh couldn't be here. He's got uh, some other cool stuff going on. But we have a super special episode coming to you. We're joined by Lynn Worthy. He writes for the Post-Dispatch, and he just finished his first full season covering the Cardinals. We're super excited to have him on the show with us today. So everybody give him a warm welcome. Yeah, so before we dive into our off-season talk, which is going to be the meat of this episode, uh, as always, we'd like to ask all of our first-time guests a couple of quick questions to get to know you a little better. So starting off, um, just with the Cardinals, who are some of your favorite players all-time and currently? Um, well, I mean, I don't really have uh, – I wouldn't say I have any favorite players, especially not currently because, you know, covering the team, you know, that's one of those – can't really have favorites um, all-time – probably is a little tricky too, just because there's a lot of them who are still involved with the organization. I could say there's a, there's a few that I've interacted with who aren't part of the organization now, but I've had like some good experiences with just like professionally um, before I came to cover the Cardinals. So like um, uh, obviously there's a couple of people who um, know, like, you know, Mike Matheny was uh, obviously was a manager and a player with the Cardinals, but was with the Royals, which is where I was in Kansas City before I came here. Um, and so and that role as the manager. I mean, I met with him basically every day during the season for his uh, see, he had three seasons, 2020, 2021, 2022. Um, Reggie Sanders, who had played for multiple organizations, but spent time with the Cardinals was uh, in the Royals. Uh, um trying to think what his role was i think it was something like assistant for player development um so i used to see him a lot of spring training and talk space with him different you know uh on different things uh and then cal eldred who also played for multiple teams but pitched for the cardinals and was working with the cardinals um was the pitching coach for the uh for the royals for the whole time that i was there under two different managers including ned yost and Matheny. um and he was always one that um you know he took a lot of heat uh because the royals had struggles there but um was usually pretty good as far as just you know get information as far as what they were doing, why they were doing stuff, like what they're working on with certain players and developing, trying to develop some of the pitches there. So um, all had, you know, like I said, I had pretty good interactions with all of them. Um, uh, I think the only one still there now at this point is uh, Reggie, as far as I know. Um, but um, yeah, uh, but like I said, I wouldn't necessarily say I have any favorites, especially not of the current group. So um, I understand growing up, you, you're not from the St. Louis area. So who who were some of the teams and players that you rooted for in the past? So that's actually an, um, a little bit of an interesting thing. I grew up in Massachusetts, but I wasn't born in Massachusetts. And my family's from New Jersey. So um, I grew up in Massachusetts, but really was more uh, following the Yankees and root for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Were there any players on those Yankees teams who were like your favorite guy? Um, so, I mean, there was obviously the, the, the years where they had the core four when they had Jeter in that group, um, earlier on, just kind of funny. It was, um, 
he was with the the Yankees. And like, so when I first started playing like little league baseball, I played on a little league team that was called the Yankees and I played second base. And so the second baseman for the Yankees, at least during part of that time was a guy named Steve Sachs. And so when I was first starting to um, like learn how to play baseball, that was my guy just because he played that position for the team and because I was a Yankees fan. Um, so he was a guy that I followed for a long time. I think he actually does some media stuff now too. I think mm-hmm. he's, he does some podcasts and um, stuff like that, but I know he played for the Dodgers. I think he's, he was at least in one or two all-star games for a couple of teams. So, um, but yeah, that was a guy, um, you know, when I was real little, just learned how to play baseball. But um, obviously there was that group that, you know, that had all that success, the core four winning championships. Um, so um, that was the group that I really sort of uh, latched on to. And then there was some, you know, like there even earlier than that, there was, you know, I saw the tail end of, you know, like Mattingly was, you know, was there, um, and then there was that group that, you know, didn't have as much success, but was sort of bridging to the core four. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned you're a Yankees fan living in Massachusetts. Was it kind of tough being a Yankees fan in hostile territory there? I know that's big Red Sox area. Yeah. So when I was real little, like it didn't really quite register as much because I mean, like there was um, obviously everybody was Red Sox fans. And so like, you know, I would like the first baseball games that I went to were, you know, big league games were at Fenway Park because that's yeah. the one that's near you. And like, you know, remember we went on trips there, like, you know, whether it was a, a school thing or Boy Scouts or, you know, Little League, whatever it was. Um, so I'd obviously gone there. And so for a while, it was just sort of like those were the two teams that I liked. And then as you started to get older, obviously the people, you know, saying all sorts of things about the Yankees and that didn't really go over. Um, but that was the team that really, like I say, between um you know, family and the fact that that's where uh, my family was from. And I had, you know, an older brother and father who were Yankees fans. And then my, during the summer, sometimes I'd go back to Jersey and um, end up spending time with relatives. My grandparents, my grandfather would almost always have Yankees games on TV. So that was, there was, it wasn't really going to sway me, but um, it was, it, it, it led to some, some funny uh, interactions sometimes, you know, people rooting against you. And then, yeah. um, the one that stands out was in 2003, the um, the game seven where Aaron Boone hit the home run off of Wakefield. I was actually in college and I was watching in a room by myself with the door open and across the hall, there was a room full of Red Sox fans. And we were sort of like, we had interaction back and forth, but we weren't going to be in the same room. So <laughs> that is wild. I bet 04 was a little bit tougher, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that was um, that was. I mean, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't in school then. I was actually going into. Well, I was I wasn't in college. I was doing. Actually, I was doing grad school that year, and uh, I did grad school in Boston. So I was going back and forth into Boston on like almost a daily wow. basis on the train and stuff like that. And so, um, the thing that I remember the most, I mean, aside from just you know being. Uh, not happy about the outcome was just that um, in Boston, it seemed like, cause those games started way late for whatever reason. And Red Sox Yankees, wow. I always used to say you pencil in like four hours and hope for a little bit less, um, you know, before pitch clock and everything. Uh, so, but um, it seemed like everybody was z- zombies going on like the train and the subway going into Boston because those games are all getting over after midnight and everybody was wow. watching it to see if they were going to pull this off. And then, uh, and then going into the World Series too, um, 
And uh, yeah, so it seemed like there was a couple weeks straight where everybody was like half like sleep or just like out of it because they were all tuned into these games that were going into like one in the morning. Wow. Yeah, so um, I think we wanted to ask a couple questions about how you first got into to sports writing. What made you decide that that was the path that you wanted to go down? So I really pretty much decided when I was in like high school that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I was playing sports, but I always sort of had in the back of my head that like, you know, that was not something that you could count on, you know, yeah. making a career out of. So um, and then as I was going through school, I liked writing and then realized that you could put the two of those together. And um, so I think it was my junior or senior year, I actually went over to like the local newspaper and met the sports editor there and started talking to them about how, you know, you get into sports writing and newspaper and thing like that. When I went to college, I did some stuff for a student newspaper and worked for the sports information department doing mm-hmm. stats and the website and thing and some radio stuff. And then I did grad school and um, did some internships, both online and um, newspaper, did some stringing, covering high school games. Um, and the first paper that I worked at was my hometown paper. First one I worked at is a intern, but also um, full-time in sports. And the guy that I had met when I was in high school and sort of like asked about getting into the business was ended up being my, my first boss, my first sports editor um, when I got hired to work there. And, uh, and that's in Lowell, Massachusetts. That's amazing. So you started from a pretty young age. Um, just real quick, like what sports you play in high school? That's interesting. <laughs> uh, so I went to a small high school. So it was like, you know, there was a lot of people who did multiple sports. So mm. um, so let's see, in eighth grade, you could play on the freshman football team. So in eighth grade, I played. So I played football from eighth grade all the way through um, senior year. Uh, I think in uh, freshman, sophomore years, I played basketball junior varsity um didn't do anything in the winter my junior year senior year i actually wrestled uh and then freshman through senior years i did track so so no baseball uh, has baseball always been what you've been interested in covering or did you start somewhere else um no and i i mean I, I played baseball like you know in like the town league stuff like that actually okay. so it was um I tried out freshman year and didn't make the JV team. And then I joined track late. Mm. And so, um, and then I stuck with track uh, and I played, I still played baseball, like on the youth, um, like, you know, see uh, a Babe Ruth, stuff like that. But oh, okay. once I, once I went over to um, uh, track for high school, I just, st- I stuck with it. But um, as far as covering now, I've covered a little bit of everything. It seems like, I mean, um, the first paper I worked at basketball, I probably covered more than anything between colleges, high school, um, some NBA. Um, I've worked at, this is the sixth newspaper now, I believe. And so um, some places I covered a lot of college basketball. Um, some places I've covered football. Uh, when I first got to Kansas City, I was covering the Chiefs. That was the original position I was hired for. And so that was the first year with Patrick Mahomes. Um, when I was out in Utah, um, covered University of Utah. Obviously, uh, there's Pac-12 or still are for, you know, a couple months, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there's still, there still is a Pac-12 for a couple months. Yeah. Um, and so that basketball and football was the big things there. And so, uh, but... Over the years, 
track, cross country. Uh, I think the first year that I was full time in Massachusetts, they had the World Curling Championships. Covered cycling, um, you know, a lot of a lot of different sports. Um, not so much like full time, but in some some measure, softball. Um, wow cross country yeah it's there's been a lot of stuff over the years um but um the the one it actually didn't didn't hit me until i think maybe when i was in kansas city the one sport actually that i think has sort of been consistent all the way through has been baseball interesting yeah that's awesome um really cool journey um so I guess we wanted to change gears and move into some of our off-season discussions sandy i know you had you wanted to go first um with that yeah, so John Mosellock's, uh, you know, he said the theme for this, you know, coming uh, bit reshaping of the roster is going to be pitching, pitching, pitching. We've heard that quote thrown around a lot. Um, and I think anyone who watched the team this year knows, um, you know, both the rotation and the bullpen uh, need, if not complete overhaul, some changes. Is there anybody that you think, like, of the current options being thrown around, right? So some of the bigger names, including Montgomery, Yamamoto, Gray, um, Nola, Snell, is there anybody that there's no chance the Cardinals will be in on of those free agents? I don't think there's, uh, it'd be hard to say no chance. I mean, cause I think if nothing else, you know, you do your due diligence and you, you know, you make your, you reach out to the representatives and see what the, um, you know, where they're at with things. So I don't, I don't think there's anybody that they just ignore completely. Um, okay. um, yeah, I think it would be hard to to say that there's no chance. I think uh, to me, one of the things is going to be just how, whether or not they're able to get somebody sort of at least get, um, I don't know if you get it done, but or sort of maybe get ahead of the market and get somebody sort of locked in fairly quickly, especially where they're looking to add multiple starters. Um, and there's a lot of teams that are out there that might also be looking for multiple starters and teams yeah. that are going to spend money. I mean, just thinking about, you know, um, you know, the Yankees, I think, have at least two of their starters from this past season who are probably gone through free agency. So they'll probably be out there looking. The Dodgers will have multiple starters who are gone. Kershaw is going to be hurt. So they'll be looking for pitching. Um, the Orioles uh, obviously have not spent much the last couple of years, but coming off a really good season and need pitching. That's one of the things that they, they you would think they would be looking to add to that young core. So they potentially could be spending on pitching. And then there's other teams, um, you know, whether I'm not entirely sure what the Mets are looking to do, but you figure they had obviously a, a wholesale change in the middle of the season when they had had, you know, Verlander and Scherzer and those guys. And obviously those guys were gone by trade deadline. So they may also be out there looking to spend. And I think there's been reports that they've been um, interested in Yamamoto. So um, there's going to be a lot of teams out there looking for pitching. I mean, every, every team every year can say pitching is one of their priorities and everybody's always looking for pitching. But um, so I think the longer things go, if you're out there looking for three, it becomes tough. So um whether or not that means somebody like, you know, I don't know this for sure, but like, you know, if it's somebody like Gray, if that's something they could sort of get buttoned up early, I think that helps as far as being able to accomplish some of these other things. And also, you know, as you look at some of the, the past years, sometimes pitching takes a long time because there's somebody who's viewed as going to be setting the market. And then once that person signs, then things follow. Um, but sometimes it takes a while for that to happen. So um, 
I wouldn't say that they're out on anybody, but I think the pace of things will be interesting, especially if they're able to get something done early. Um, maybe bodes well for them potentially making multiple additions. Interesting. Yeah, so you mentioned they're not out on anybody. Um, so, sorry. Um, if you if you watch the show long enough, um, you you know um, who I who I tend to lean towards as as a potential starting pitching option. Um, and John Mozeliak mentioned in the same conference where he said pitching, pitching, pitching that if the Cardinals were to were to get a uh, if there was like a really good position player on the market that they wouldn't ignore that as well. But um, there happens to be a position player on the market who also will be a pitcher come 2024 or 2025. Um, do you think there's any chance at all? I know the athletic put out a pretty low estimate um, of 10 years, 477, that the Cardinals will approach Shohei Otani um, and talk to him at all um, or express any interest in him because they haven't. Uh, that's like the one starting pitcher they haven't really been linked to at all. Um, That one is. I don't you know, I'm not. I'm not sure on that one. Also, just because it seems to be one of those things where he's not going to pitch right away, and obviously they have to put a um, emphasis on pitching that's going to help them next season, and so he doesn't really fit into that mold. Obviously, he's a great player. One potential, you know, depending on your um, how you feel, it might be the best player in baseball right now. Um, so it's not like that's a guy that you just you know, overlook altogether. But um, as far as helping their pitching staff, um, it's going to be a season or more before he's able to do that. So I'm not sure. And then also, I don't know what sort of, um, you know, you hear all these things about, you know, what he might sign. Like if he's looking to sign something that allows him to get back out into free agency after he's healthy and shows that he's able to pitch again. Um, I don't know if that's something that you revisit then or not, but um think it's a little tough right now when their need is immediate with pitching and he will not be able to do that immediately. Yeah. The Otani question is like an obligatory thing for Andrew. It's his favorite player of all time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as I think a lot of Cardinals fans who say we'd love to have him here, but I just, I don't see like how the Cardinals match up on that. And I love what you said there um, pointing out the fact that Otani won't pitch next year. Because it's true, like the Cardinals need someone that helps them now. They need three starters in 2024, and if they spend the majority of their available um, cash on – I mean, we'll get into payroll later, but if they spend probably the majority of what's available on Shohei Otani, like, you know, we're talking about a team that's going to have a lot of trouble filling out those other three spots. Yeah, it's worth noting the athletic projection. Um, I did some, like, number crunching with that. Um, I, I believe – he will make only $27 million next year, which is not that much considering he's a, how, how big a threat he is in the lineup. And I think I wrote an article that's, that's coming out tomorrow on Redbird Rants about how that could, um, that payroll situation could work out. If the Cardinals get creative with trades, um, there, there's a way they make that work with a serviceable mm -hmm. rotation next year. Um, and then in 2025, you get an even better rotation by adding a top 10 pitcher in the league at the head of that rotation. So, I think it's possible. I just wanted to to maybe throw that out there um, and hope the Cardinals are, are at least give him a call, right? Yeah, well, I mean, but also, I mean, like the way you're you're wording that there is, you know, serviceable rotation next season. Um, I think there's probably a good segment of Cardinals fans that, sit, that coming off of this season say, 
So you're aiming for serviceable next year and then hoping for better the year after when you're hinging that on somebody who's coming off of a major surgery. So it sounds like, you know, you're potentially, you know, not quite kicking the can down the road, but kind of kicking the can down the road when I know there's a lot of people who were upset about the way things went this year. So I think that that's almost a little, it seems like a little too long-term thinking for, uh, at least from, for some of the people that, you know, you hear vocally uh, about um, who are unhappy about what happened this season. So um, I think there's, you know, um, and, and also just, you know, just for me, I think it, the uncertainty, I mean, and this is going to be the second time he's had, you know, an issue, a surgery that he's had to have procedure. It was like, probably, I mean, he's not going to be the first guy. So, I mean, he probably comes back well, but um, there's just uncertainty there to be, you know, investing in that now when you have immediate issues now that you really need to invest in. Yeah, hundred percent. I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the boat with a lot of those Cardinals fans that say, uh, we looked like we had a serviceable rotation coming into this year. I mean, I would have thought that Wainwright was going to be okay. He'd been okay for a bunch of years in a row, and it looked really good. And I would have thought Michaelis was going to be good. Um, and, you know, just the wheels fell off. And so I think a serviceable rotation next year is something that, yeah, like you said, would really stir up some frustration um, among a lot of Cardinals fans. And so I just we just mentioned it earlier, um, but I wanted to ask, where do you think the payroll um, is going to end up going into next season. Do you think there's a chance that it climbs north of 200 million? Um, do you think we stay around where we are now, move up a little bit, move up a lot? You know. Uh, and I'm not sure. Hmm, 200. I know there's been comments out there from Bill DeWitt talking about yeah. them being sort of. I don't want to say vague, but like it wasn't specific in terms of like you know what that actual payroll might look like. Just to, basically talked about the willingness to spend. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I think that's going to depend on how many pitchers they're able to bring in, um, what sort of that, that price tag for those pitchers is. Um, obviously, I mean, like, even like, you know, people like last year when there's that talk about the payroll going up. Um, I, don't know, I mean, I know a lot has been made out of that comment, but at the same time, like to me in an off season, when you hear that, that's almost like a given. Like I know people took that to mean they were going to add this, that, and the other, but like to me, yeah. like when you just talk about just, you know, whether it's arbitration and things like that, it's like payroll is going to naturally go up. So like, that's, that's not as big a, um, a thing to me to hear that. Um, so it's more, you know, specifically how much they're willing to spend. Um, I do believe it's going to go, I, I would assume it's going to go up because you're going to need to add pitching. You're going to need to spend. Pitching is always going to cost you more. Um, so especially in free agency. Um, so unless they're, you know, losing payroll, big payroll that we're not seeing right now, because I mean, you lose obviously Wayno, um, is going to be the, the, the biggest as far as that, but I don't, I'm not seeing big salary losses, at least not off the top of my head. And I'm trying to think if there's somebody else I'm missing. I mean, um, obviously you, you, you traded some guys away. Um, but I mean, so you're going to end up most likely acquiring more payroll than you've lost. Mm -hmm. um, how much more probably depends on who it is you're acquiring. Like if you're acquiring, you know, not to say that this is happening, but like if you're acquiring just for example, Blake Snell, then that, 
payroll goes up more than if you're acquiring somebody who's like on a flyer that you're, you know, one year deal and just trying to prove it type of situation. So um, I would think that there still be in the middle, which is where they typically, where they've been the last couple of years. Um, could they move up to the top tier um, potentially, but I think that just depends on, the caliber pitcher they're able to add. Um, I also know not that sometimes it, I think people feel like it's an excuse. Um, sometimes teams are a little conscious of who's going to be coming up for free agency, like as far mm -hmm. as young players and things like that. So, um, you know, or if there's young players, they, they're looking to lock into long-term deals. Sometimes that also is a consideration. I'm not sure where they're at with that. Um, but um that's one of those things where sometimes the uh, the payroll gets somewhat, you know, like they they try to keep that somewhat um, manageable because they know there's going to be some guys coming up that they want to lock long term. So that's a really interesting point that you've just brought up there. We actually just did an episode um, talking about extension candidates for the Cardinals, and so I love that we can segue into this now because um, we put a bunch of thought into it. Obviously, a guy at the top of most lists is Jordan Walker. Do you see the potential for a Jordan Walker deal um, with the Cardinals where they sort of buy out some arbitration and hopefully some free agent years? I think with when you talk about young guys, I mean, like it's always, I think, a conversation at least. Um, yeah. the, the tough part to me always ends up being like um, like, for example, when we were in, when I was in Kansas City, I remember people would say, like, you know, you saw like Julio Rodriguez do it. You hear people talk about whether or not Orioles will do it with Rutschman. And so in Kansas City, people would always mention it with Bobby Wood Jr. Mm. And to me, I was always like, I was like, well, if, I, if I'm looking at it from Bobby's perspective, I'm probably saying to myself, it's a matter of coming up with what's the number going to be? Because like, you know, obviously there's the, you buy out the arbitration years. And so whatever they give you, like, you know, like Julio Rod Rodriguez's deal, I think I'm trying to remember if it was like 10 million year for some of those years that you know where he would have been making uh he would have been an arbitration number or would have been well it would have been you know probably league minimum and then some arbitration years um that they were buying out and it's a matter of like you know okay but then that extends for however many years past that five six years past that yeah. what could you be making in those five seasons that you're going to be locked into 10 12 13 whatever that number is yeah. and if you're somebody like Julio or Bobby or Rutschman or something like that, or Jordan Walker, you say, okay, well, what do I think, what do I think my production would be? What should that net me as far as a salary? And, you know, am I going to be making 10 for these two, three, four years when if this production should have been getting me 25, is it worth that to buy? Like, what's the number where it's worth that to buy out those first couple of years? And that's the part that's always a little um, interesting to me is how, uh, how you try and figure that out and what the guy's willing to do. If he's willing to say, okay, well, you know, I'll take the, the, whatever it is, league minimum or the arbitration numbers um, just for uh, the sake of being able to lock this in long-term um, or to, you know, to also give myself some certainty so that if there's some sort of injury or maybe production lags and I'm getting this, I know I'm getting this no matter what. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if, uh, you know, if it's something that the, if the it's something that's come up just yet because i mean he also has that you know he's still in that window where it's not pressing because it's you know he's he's not going to get really paid yet for another couple of years yeah. so um i don't know i think 
especially with so much of the, the emphasis going to be on what they have to do with free agency. I think that's something that takes a backseat, at least probably until spring training, until you sort of have the this year's team set. Um, and those are guys that, like you say, I mean, obviously aren't going anywhere. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that comes up, you know, um, down the line here. I'm just not sure, like, one year in. I mean, we've seen it happen, but I don't know if one year in um, where he sort of had some up and downs, if it's um, something that he'd be willing to do or his representation be willing to do at this point. But, you know, one of the things when you have in the organization is like you can always have those conversations. So um, but I wouldn't expect that to be and I could be wrong, but wouldn't expect it to be like a front burner thing just because they got so many things to address this offseason. Yeah, so um, we can start talking about some of the rumors that have been circling the Cardinals in the past few weeks. We'll get it out of the way real quick. Um, I think they've been linked to uh, a few relievers. I know Yuki Matsui um, from Japan is going to be an international free agent soon, um, and he's already been linked pretty heavily with the Cardinals. Um, so do you think the Cardinals will be a little bit more aggressive at the start of this offseason and get some of those relievers out of the way? Um, before signing the starters or like, how do you think that process is going to go? I don't know if it's going to be a matter of um, them being like sort of saying, okay, we're going to get this done first. But I think that plays into like the, um, with the starters and if their starters waiting for the pitching market to develop. Um, I know that the, the bullpen's one of those things they, they definitely have to address. Um, I think adding the guy like, um, you know, who can be a, a back end type of a guy um, or at least or high leverage type of a guy um, is something that's going to be important for them. Um, whether that means, you know, um, Matsui, whether that means, you know, exploring, um, you know, reuniting with Jordan Hicks. Um, I think um, they, they've they got to probably add a couple of guys in that mix, especially you saw what happened when Helsley went down this season. Um, it was, yeah, and Hicks, you know, sort of moved into that role. And I think um, had they been in a different situation, might have seen Hicks stay in that role and thrive in that role. But the fact that um, there was no certainty he was going to be there long term, that they had to do, do something, deal him and get something for him. Um, but when you took Helsley out of the equation and you sort of had the musical chairs, and I mean, I know um, – early in the season that the bullpen was really rough in terms of like, it just seemed like there was all those games where you got to the seventh inning and then the game went downhill. Um, there was that long stretch where it's, they were among the leaders and blown saves that slowed down later in the season. I think by the end of the season, really, it was like, um, uh, I think there was a bunch of teams that all had the same number of blown saves. So I think they really end up being like, tied for like the sixth or seventh most, but there was a time when it was, you know, basically second or third in, in major league baseball, as far as number of blown saves. Um, so that slowed down late, but I mean, um, it just sort of adds to the, the, the pressure that you have on your starting pitching staff to where, you know, um, they just have to be able to pitch shutouts basically. Um, but uh, so Long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think the – I don't think it's going to be necessarily a, okay, we're going to make sure we have to get this done first. I think it's going to be a matter of if the starting pitching market is slow because of um, guys waiting for, you know, whoever it is that's going to sort of set the the market for everybody else. If that slows down, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're active on bringing 
relief pitchers and getting those guys signed and sort of getting that. Because I don't, I don't think you can wait necessarily to try and do all of this, you know, um, after the first domino falls. So I think that's why, like I say, if they're able to get a starter early and then also be out there looking to add relievers, um, I would almost, I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what their plan is, but I would almost expect that that would probably be the case just because uh, it just makes sense that, you know, you can't wait, but so long if you're going to make this many additions. Yeah, totally right. And what you said about the blown saves, I mean, as the team got less competitive down the stretch, right, trading away some offensive pieces, trading away um, pieces in the starting rotation, they had less leads to protect. Um, And so there was even less chance for blown saves. So I think that's a big reason that kind of tapered off. They just didn't have nearly as many leads in the second half. Um, But, yeah, I mean, really, really tough season in the bullpen. Uh, And it was one marked by injury. You mentioned the Helsley injury down the stretch. The Jojo Romero uh, injury was really tough, especially because it was so awesome to see him suddenly become the closer um, and really get a chance to thrive in that new role. Do you see Jojo continuing to have like a big role in next year's bullpen? Yeah, I think that that's like, like I say, multiple high leverage guys. I mean, like yeah. maybe there's a guy who ends up being your closer, your quote unquote closer. But I think ideally, if you have multiple people that you can pitch in high leverage situations and that allows you to necessarily just sort of like say, OK, who matches up the best based on who's available on a given night? Then I think that's the ideal. I mean, it, and if there's one who stands out, then yeah, okay, that's you know, then he becomes yeah. a closer. And you, but um, again, even if, even if you know, like Hells is a closer, then um, there's going to be certain nights he's not available. You still have to be able to close down those games. There's going to be you know, there's always going to be injury and things like that. So I mean, so if you're talking about like if you say okay, you know. If, you have a guy like Helsley who's been an all-star who, you know, close games. Geo, when when he's on, is obviously one of the more reliable closers. If JoJo, you have JoJo in that mix and then you're adding somebody else, whether that's, I mean, you know, I'm trying to think how many games last year they actually had. And I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm trying to think, is there games where they had Helsley, Hicks, JoJo, Geo all healthy and pitching at their best? I'm not sure that, that happened at, at any point last year, but Let's say you potentially have, you know, something like that, whether it's Hicks or somebody else you brought in. Um, and then, you know, and then other another person who you feel like is a reliable bullpen arm. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you have options, you have, um, you know, and, and whether that means there's somebody else or you coming up from the minor leagues that you feel like slots in that can, that can um, be in a role like that. So, um or a guy like, you know, Packy Naughton being healthy and being back, whether or not he, you know, gets into that equation, but, you have to have multiple guys. I think right now you feel like you probably have two or three, if healthy, that you can rely on, but you need to be able to add to that. Mm, for sure. Uh, you just brought up Packy Naughton. So he's one of the only left-handed options the Cardinals have. I, I think Romero cemented himself as the top lefty option, um, but this comes a year after it seemed like Zach Thompson had cemented himself as the top lefty option. So things have really been in flux. Um, in that part of the pen lately. It looks like Thompson's going to be in the rotation or at least as like some kind of piggyback long man type of role. Do you see the Cardinals going out and getting another lefty, especially if Naughton gets non-tendered, which I've heard that's a possibility after this injury, um, but I'm not totally sure about that either. I mean, I think there's potential, especially if you're talking about like, you know, I mean, I think there's obviously been the reported, um, you know, interest there in um, uh Matsui, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm trying to think who else, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if you had another guy, especially if it was a guy who's a lot high leverage. Um, I don't think that's so much a, a reaction to Naughton as much as it's just, you know, having a high leverage person. But I mean, and also, I mean, there was one point last spring training where they had like, seemed like six left-handers that were all, you know, in the mix or potentially wow. vying for roster spots. Like when you think back yeah. to when Naughton was healthy, um, when Masevich was there, when, um, you know, obviously Jojo was there, but then left for, um, you know, WBC. Um, there was, you know, Henesis Cabrera was still around. So you had a bunch of lefties all at the same time. And I, th- I think there's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, like I say, if they add, I don't think it's just because uh, not. And I think it's just because they, you're always looking for left-handed relievers. And then also if you have somebody who could potentially add to that left-handed back-end mix, then a high-leverage person, then definitely you got to look for that. Yeah, I know they used uh, Palante a lot as a as kind of a lefty because he has reverse splits um, against the left-handers. Um, I heard Palante was working on a new pitch um, up in one of the pitching labs. Uh, could you could you tell us a little bit about that? I was I was interested in that. I saw I, I saw a video of him um, working on it. I don't have all the details. I think actually, um, and I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm pre- I think Daniel Guerrero, who works with us at the Post Dispatch, was um, potentially um, going to reach out to him about. Uh, what he's been working on this um, this offseason because I think he was, you know, basically getting in with some of the uh, pitching folks doing some of that deep dive into the analytical, um, you know, pitch um, shaping and that sort of stuff. Um, but it sounded like, um, well, I think one of them may have been like a changeup, but I'm not entirely sure. Again, I'm, I'm just going off the video that I saw. Um, and I think the video it was on Twitter is almost calling it like a death pitch or something like that. So I don't, yeah. um, I don't know ex- exactly all the backstory behind that. I probably just saw what you guys saw, but I think they're um, one of our guys, one of my colleagues may actually be um, potentially writing about that somewhere soon. So I'd say keep an eye out for that. <laughs> That's very exciting. Yeah. We'll definitely be watching out. I think they called it the death ball um, and it was like some modified curveball. Whatever the case, um, it looked pretty wicked in the video. So hopefully we see that with Palante next year. I know something people have talked about with him. Um, I was reading some stuff over at Viva Albertos. Uh, Blake Newberry has repeatedly said that he really likes Palante, um, but he really wants to see him develop that second off-speed pitch – or not off-speed, sorry, that second breaking ball um, because that would give him a much better chance to start someday. Um, so maybe this is that, you know, that opportunity for Andre. One more thing I wanted to ask about the bullpen before we shift gears again. So something in the past that's been really, really important for Cardinals bullpens is depth. And that's something we just didn't feel like they had this year. They didn't have the Cody Whitley's uh, and the Jake Walsh's and those guys that are on that Memphis shuttle coming up and down constantly. It kind of felt like we just had what we had this year. Um, That was about it. And then when we needed depth, we went out and signed veteran arms that nobody was really super interested in. Do you see them being able to kind of rectify that for the 2024 season? I think some of that may depend on um, if there are guys who have been or at least right now are starters and whether or not they may actually make that change to make them um, bullpen guys. Um, You know, uh, obviously, like they one of the guys that, you know, was somewhat in that role, like you mentioned earlier, Zach Thompson, obviously he's they're looking at least at this point, looking more to be a starter. Um, 
it was interesting at the end of the season, and we never really had the uh, the end of the season press conference to really talk and, and see where they stood with you know like um, you saw Libertor get a little bit of that look at the end of the season. I don't know that that was a long term thing, but it sounded like it was maybe something they're looking at as potentially thinking about. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure where they stand with that. Uh, but you know, especially as you add you know like through the trades, they added more pitching depth. For these guys who they think might be starters, um, some of those guys inevitably will not remain starters. But yeah. if there's some of those guys or some of the guys that were already previously there who were looked at as some of your depth, if those guys can be, um, I want to say depth and starting depth, if those guys can um, potentially transition to bullpen roles, then maybe that is where some of that comes from. So you're not necessarily, you know, um, in July going out and, and looking for the, uh, you know, the Casey Lawrence's and the, and, um, you know, uh, Tapera and the different sort yeah. of like cast of characters that they sort of brought in for the short term. Um, so I think that's going to be, I mean, and, and obviously there's still free agency too, but I mean, I, I think what could probably have the biggest impact on that is whether or not there's some guys that they decide, okay, we're going to move them to bullpen, uh, and, you know, um, give some of those starting opportunities in the minors and uh, to other guys who they feel like um, could potentially add to the, uh, or could be um, contending for or depth pieces for the rotation. Mm. Yeah. I just really hope there are more of those guys ready in the upper minors. Andre Granillo is a name that comes to mind this year, although he doesn't have a ton of experience at AAA. Um, maybe Matt Svonson, the guy acquired in the, the young trade with the Blue Jays. He looks really exciting, had a great finish with double A last year. Um, I think like, you know, the Freddie Pacheco move is something that hasn't gotten talked about enough uh, last season. Like he was somebody um, I picked him to be like my Cardinals rookie of the year in the first half. And then obviously he was dealt to the Tigers, injured, missed the whole season. Um, but stuff like that, where the Cardinals just lost all that depth. So I really, really hope they have it this year. You made a great point about some of those guys they brought into the organization. Um, I really hope it's the case this year because they're more fun to watch when there's, you know, kind of a rotating group down there uh coming from memphis to st louis all the time um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's also some guys probably i mean i don't want to completely overlook there's some guys who you saw little bits of that obviously still had work to yeah. do and like you know individual improvements always you know um a big factor in that too so i mean if that if guys are ready to take the next step guys who you maybe saw whether that's a zuninga or Leahy or different guys who it's like okay you saw a little bit of them clearly weren't quite ready this year but if they're able to take that next step and be options going forward, that's another piece of that equation too. That's another great point. I don't think we gave those guys enough credit um, just because it was so tough, but it was a terrible environment to get tossed into this year. Like Kyle Leahy was coming in and pitching in games or he was just mop up duty against offenses that had already scored eight runs. Like that's just gotta be kind of demoralizing, especially as like a first time guy. Um, so that's another great point. I want to switch back to the rotation for a second here and just ask about Sonny Gray. Um, he, for me, is like my number one offseason priority. He's my favorite guy available. Um, I think there's a good argument that Gray isn't just like the best at his price available. I think he might be the best pitcher available um, because of the consistency that he's shown over the years. Um, it's not like Blake Snell, where Blake Snell might give you a year that's much better than Sonny Gray, but he's only done that twice. Whereas Gray, at every stop of his career, except for one year in New York, has basically been 15 to 20 percent above league average. Do you think the Cardinals are the front runner for him? It sounds like they're at least among that group. So, I mean, I, 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 whether he's the, the 
desk picture available and that's probably i mean that, that's open to obviously to interpretation yeah, yeah. um i don't know if i put them necessarily at that point um and then also there's you know there's that whole thing about okay well you feel like you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get from him because he's got the track record and yes. he's done it. Um, and of course, then the, the flip side of that is, is, you know, somebody would argue like, well, you look at a guy, whether that's, uh, you know, like Snell or Montgomery and you say, well, they've got a lot less workload than some of these other guys wow. too. And it's for, if you're looking at sign them for long-term. Um, but I mean, he just seems like a, a fit. He just, you know, in it's a lot a of ways team. for, you know, whether it's, you know, the, um, the market, um, just what the, the need for the for the for the Cardinals is, um, seems like he's a guy who wouldn't necessarily, you know, be trying to break the bank um, wherever he goes. Um, so it just it just seems like a fit. Um, but again, that's where all these different teams who are out there looking for pitching um, makes it, you know, just it adds an element element of uncertainty because there's so many teams who are going to be out there. Um, looking at these same group of pitchers and um, that's where, you know, when everybody says, Oh, well, they've got to go out and they've got to be able to add this, this guy, this guy, that guy, or this many guys. It's like, well, those guys, even if they, they target them, they make the offer, you know, there's the, that element of like, if the guy doesn't want to come or if there's somebody else who wants to pay more, or if there's something about the situation in another place that is more attractive then you know, you can do a lot of things, you know, seemingly right and it doesn't work out but um that one just seems like a fit and um how it works out obviously remains to be seen um but uh that seems like the one that everybody has sort of been able to like pick out for you know months now like probably even going back to you know last year whatever it's like okay that seems like the guy that you know especially when you knew that the the cardinals were going to need need guys because um you know right now it's it's matt's and uh, Michaelis, and then it's you know a lot of guys that seem like they should be depth guys and not necessarily penciled into the rotation. So if you put pencil, you are able to pencil Gray in there, then it's like okay, now you've got three, and if you're able to add one more, probably two more, but if you're able to add one more, then you say okay, well, there's that group of depth guys that you could say you know probably not ideal, but okay. One of those guys maybe wins that fifth spot and then you go forward with that. You still feel better about that than um, having to go two or three of those guys, you know, from that group of, you know, Thompson, Hudson, um, you know, Rom, that, that group there. Like if you're, if there's, if they're all maybe vying for one spot or all in AAA, then you're much better depth wise than if two or three of those guys have to be in your rotation. So, um, and if you got a guy like Gray, who you feel like is, um, you know what you're going to get from him, um, then that makes it, you know, just a whole lot easier to sort of see a path forward as far as success with the rotation. Yeah, I just love the consistency that Sonny Gray could bring us. I, I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time on his baseball reference page, and basically every year he's uh, a 120 or a 125 ERA plus pitcher. And like that's a front of the rotation arm, especially for the Cardinals who right now um, just don't have a ton of options. And having done that so many years in his career, I mean, it feels like a guy who you, like you said, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, I think and consistency is going to be a big thing. I mean, I, I mean, another thing that um, you know probably doesn't get quite as much um, attention right now because everybody's worried about the free agency is also just you got to 
if you're a Cardinals fan, be looking for improvement or returns of form from some of the from the two guys that you know are coming back. You know, because um, if you add Gray and whoever else, and but if you're still getting sh- uh, shaky outings out of Mats and Michaelis, then then you're still in some trouble. I mean, like you, you're probably looking at Michaelis and saying, well, if you get him back to you know the All Star form, if you get the Mats that you saw, and I think it was like that six or seven starts after the bullpen, yeah, that, then that that's a big part of the, part of what you're going to get out of rotation too is you know obviously right now it's adding two guys but like those guys getting back on track is going to be a big part of that regardless of who gets added for sure yeah so um that's a really good point uh, we're definitely going to need those guys to get back on track uh, but uh, i'll counter sandy's real quick um and say that my favorite um, free agent option is is yamamoto um, and he's just coming off of his third consecutive triple crown over um, in Japan. And I know it's a different league. Um, guys don't always translate, but we've seen a pretty good hit rate. I know Sandy compared him to Yusei Kikuchi, but like even in Japan. Kikuchi okay, okay. That is, that, that is a bad faith quotation. Um, so anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, the the one had, thing I wonder, the one thing I wonder about with him just is, um, you know, just, where he's one of those smaller guys, which doesn't, you know, doesn't like mean that it's not going to work or that, you know, it's just with the smaller guy, you sometimes wonder about the durability. Um, you're going to be a different baseball, maybe a little bit of a different um, workload. And he's, I think they list him like somewhere between 170, 175. And I think um, was it was like 510 or somewhere in that neighborhood. Like uh, maybe, maybe 511. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. under, it's under six feet and like 170, 175, which, you know, we've seen that. I mean, that's, you know, you, you look at a guy like Marcus Stroman, but it's just, just as far as like a guy that you're probably talking about multiple years and being able to handle a workload. And, you know, um, that's the only thing that I wonder about. And I mean, obviously, that that goes for not just him, but for, you know, there's a lot of pictures out there like that. And that's one of those things that organizations have to do their homework on. And you have medical staff, training staff to try and figure out, is this a guy who's going to be able to hold up? Is there things that you worry about that's going to cause issues? But um, that would be the one thing that I'd be curious how the Cardinals view that, because it seems as though there's definitely interest. But I just wonder um does that put him behind some some of these other guys? You feel like physically you have a better, um, you know, model as far as like okay, we know this guy, this size, this build, probably stands up, probably you know, last uh, or has a, a track record of durability as opposed to guys like that where the smaller guys, not that they don't stand up, but I think it's just um, it's probably the numbers game. It's like more often those guys, not necessarily all those guys, but more often the guys that size maybe have some issues as far as durability compared to guys of a different size. Yeah, I mean, with durability, Yamamoto um, in the Japan Series Game 6, he threw 138 pitches, so I thought that was pretty impressive. You're never going to see that out of, a, out of a guy over here in America, especially not um, in today's uh, like work, uh, work management uh, sort of situation going on. Um, I know the Cardinals probably aren't going to be like at the top of his list. I know there's like, he, he says he covets playing in a big market. Um, but do you think some of those connections, we, I know, uh, the Cardinals just hired, um, I think someone who has a really close relationship with, with Oryx, with his team in Japan, um, Lars Newpar has been over there. Um, so do you think St. Louis could be a preferable destination for him? 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, at this point now, too, you're starting to see more players filter into Major League Baseball. So, I mean, um, like if I'm if I was sitting in New York, I'd probably be saying, well, we've got a, a connection, you know, and you, like you said, with the market thing, then it's like, OK, well, maybe like, you know, um, you know the Mets could say, well, we've, we've got the, the connection that you that you need right here. We're in a big market. You've got a, an owner who's had a track record of being willing to spend and spend, uh, you know, lavishly. So um, That's true. I don't know if, you know, if there's any connection that at least evident that I see that puts the Cardinals above. Um, but I don't think it takes them out. I think it's just, you know, there, there may be some stronger connections in, in other places. Um, and if the market thing is, is a real uh, issue and then also just the, um, you know, the price, you know, um, if there's, you know, teams that are willing to, to go above and beyond as far as spending, um, you know, and again, that's why having so many teams who are going to be out there looking for so many starters um, in some of the big markets um, being involved in that makes this a whole um you know, an interesting thing, but I, I wouldn't say that they necessarily get counted out, but I don't know if I, if I see anything that says, okay, this is an advantage that they have over anybody else, but, um, or let's put it this way. I'd say like whatever advantage you might say that they have, I think there's some other teams that could point to something and say, well, we've got a similar advantage in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy with Yamamoto because we've seen his value just increase so much over the last couple months. Um, it felt like at some point in the middle of the season, all of a sudden there were a ton of eyes on him. And I can think of just since probably August, the figures I've seen thrown around with his name next to him have grown from like 130, 135 to 200 or even in excess of that. And I just really can't see the Cardinals handing $200 million to it's like to Yamamoto or really any starter out there. Um, I think, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Lynn, they have multiple spots to fill out. And so they're going to try to, you know, ball on the budget here. Um, we want to touch on Nola and Cease as well. That was uh, some of the viewers uh, really wanted to hear about those guys. Their names we've touched on pretty much every episode until now. Um, but I guess, do you see a chance that the Cardinals could ink some kind of deal with Aaron Nola or make a play for Dylan Cease? Uh, it's it sounds like nola is definitely a guy that they're going to be after it's just um obviously again a lot of teams being out there but also so it it seems like you know dave dombrowski has been pretty vocal about just the idea that they aren't going to necessarily you know let him walk away easily i mean considering how the impact that he's had in philadelphia the success philadelphia has had in recent years that that nola uh wheeler combination um and you look at Dombrowski where he's been in the past, like he's, he's spent and you can make the, you can make the argument overspent for, for guys in, you know, whether that was in Boston or Detroit to, to keep guys that, you know, um, maybe yeah. into the years that people say is a little, little risky. Like he's done that in the past. So um, I think they're definitely going to go after Nola. It's just a matter of, you know, how that, process plays out who else gets involved what the you know whether or not they reach a reach a point where they can't necessarily you know uh go past and other teams are still adding on to it you know so that's that's going to be the 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 thing for me is like i f think they're definitely going to be in on him it's just a matter of um what that um bidding war looks like and who all is in, involved in that but i mean um he's one of those guys that you add him and um Potentially, you're talking about uh, a guy who's 
front line, front front of your rotation right away, day one, based off his track record. Um, a guy who seems like you, you could count on for a good number of innings too, which, you know, um, last year, that was one thing, you know, is whether it was guys going to the bullpen or injuries or, or whatnot, like you want to have guys, you know, you can count on and be able to take the ball every fifth day. And that, that Nola seems like that type of a guy, um, which obviously has some value for, for a rotation that, that needs guys, um, proven guys with innings. Uh, and also the, the postseason factor too, where he's had success in the postseason. Um, so that's definitely a guy cease um, be interesting. It would be interesting to see how that um, I'm not totally sure if that's, you know, or where he is on their um, in their eyes, as far as a potential, uh, you know, acquisition. Um, but there's obviously he's, he's had success in the past. Um, I'm just not sure where he would be i feel like and this is not this is just sort of like you know just i guess uh i feel like he would be below some of these other guys that we're talking about but i'm not sure exactly where he's at yeah i think another guy that's been floated around in trades obviously a long shot for the cardinals uh, trading with a division rival but corbin burns just like if we can get our hands on Corbin Burns, we'd probably have to overpay significantly, but that's a guy that I would be really excited about. Yeah, that's one of those ones, though, that I feel like, um, especially in the division, yeah. they may try to, like, they, 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 they may ask for the sun and the stars, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, yeah. um, and, and that's where, you know, again, people talk about these potential trades and like, it's okay. Well, what are you willing to give to make that happen to, um, you know, cause it's not going to be like, you know, sometimes you see people say, Oh, well, we'll give up this guy. And that like somebody that, you know, has been struggling or hasn't really made a big impact. It's like, that's not, that's not going to get it. That's not how that usually works. That's not how that, that's not going to get it done. Um, so but I, I, the in-division one, especially with Burns, I feel like that's going to be a, a big asking price. Like, that's going to be – like, that's going to take, um, you know, not just one player that, you know, you think might be part of your future, but maybe multiple. Like, that, that that's the type of thing that I, that I feel like they're – they'd probably be looking for to make that happen. And even, you know, some of these other, you know, trade – scenarios that people float out there or are people that potentially may be available for a trade. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's where you, it comes down to like, okay, are you willing to part with, you know, for example, a Nolan Gorman, who's a left-handed bat who, you know, could, who has 30 home run power, middle of the uh, lineup type guy who plays a middle, middle infield position. Um, are you willing to let that go to bring in one of the, one of these pitchers um, who, um, you then have for a controllable period of time and then maybe you're able to extend, but like, you know, pitching is also volatile where, you know, one, a starting pitcher pitches once every five days, but then also like there's the injury factor. So it's like, are you willing to do that or, or not? You know? So, um, cause I think, like I said, I think it's, it's easy for people to point to guys that, you know, they feel like are falling off or production has dropped off and say, okay, well, yeah, we trade. Like, that's not who you're going to trade to get these guys. No. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, it would take probably multiple very young, very exciting players 
uh, to acquire Burns, even with the low control, just because the Brewers don't want to see him tear them up um, at American Family Field. Although I'll argue that I think Burns has a good chance to get moved, probably not to the Cardinals, but Burns getting out of this division would be a huge win for the Cardinals. Um, it, that's one of those deals that like seeing the Brewers move on from him, uh, whether it's here or not, like that's something that can be celebrated because he will no longer carve us up. So <laughs> I would really love that. Um, I think we're getting down to the end of our time here. Um, but on our way out, we'd love to just ask, what's your kind of prediction for the off season? Um, doesn't have to be anything like crazy. Um, but what do you see the Cardinals doing? What's the most likely maybe, or just like, what would be a scenario that you think could happen? Scenario I think could happen. Um, it's tough to say, like, specific, like to to try and like gauge specific guys, but like I feel like signing two free agents and then you know the third maybe more of a player who you're looking for a bounce back or um, a flyer on or something like that. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me if, you know, uh, if you're able to get, um, you know, whether it's a sunny gray or somebody, you get that person signed early, get maybe another free agent um, as the market shapes out. And then that third one who, you know, um, obviously they, they'd been pretty strong, uh, Stated pretty strongly, you know, they probably need to add three. But then on that very last day of the season, I think it was the Bally Sports interview where, you know, Mosellock seemed to almost hedge a little bit, which uh, I feel like is somewhat understandable. Like, um, I mean, it, there's no doubt that it, that they had said unequivocally three for, you know, weeks before that. But, you know, um, the hedge, I think, is understandable in that, you know, when you go into an offseason like that, trying to think that you're going to add three through free agency can be kind of a tall task. And if that's the expectation and, and you know going into it, like, you know, anything less than three may um, uh, reflect negatively. I can understand why there might be that little bit of a hedge, but they definitely had said three. Um so if there's, you know, the, if they're able to get maybe one, like I say, aggressively early, get one done, you're able to get another one as market plays out. And then if that third person is, you know, like I say, maybe somebody who's coming off of a rough uh, performance and you're looking for a bounce back or you're thinking you can see something that your um, staff, coaching staff, you know, pitching people are able to maybe um, uh, almost like a reclamation project there, if that's something that way. And then Worst case, you're like, okay, well, if that doesn't work out, then you have your guys as far as depth that you think maybe um, can compete with that that player, that guy, or, you know, take that spot if it doesn't work out. Um, the trade, I think trades the trade is always there too. I'm just not sure. Uh, I don't have a good gauge of how motivated some of these other teams are going to be to to make those trades. Like maybe, you know, maybe they will be. Maybe that comes together. Um, maybe it's one of those things that the – discussions start now but it doesn't actually take place until down the line you see that a lot of times where it's you know the the, the discussions start about a deal that um never happens or happens months down the line or happens you know the next the following off season um so um if i was going to predict i don't know that i would predict the trade just because trades are so unpredictable i would say um two guys getting added, you know, through free agency, maybe two of the names that a lot of people have talked about. And then, you know, maybe a third that's more of a, you know, outside the box type of a, a candidate. That would be, 
I guess my best guess on what it looks like. And then, you know, if it's something different, then uh, it'd be even more interesting for everybody, I guess. <laughs> that sounds kind That's of cool. a lot like one of the scenarios that I've thrown out there a little bit, which would be like getting gray early, like sunny gray by Thanksgiving, <laughs> um, which I've been, I've been, you know, praying for that. So that'd be awesome. But uh, then kind of getting Aaron Nola in the middle of the off season, and then maybe looking at like a Frankie Montas or something like that. I think he'll be really cheap. We know the ceilings there. Um, but obviously his time with the Yankees has been really brutal. And then maybe adding some depth. Like I think Nate Pearson's an interesting name from the Blue Jays that could be talked about. I'm, I'm not sure how motivated they'd be to trade him. Um, but yeah, a situation like that, I guess. Yeah. And the bullpen obviously um, to me is like, I don't want to say as important, but I, I feel like that's going to be a big, you know, something people can't overlook. And I mean, even like when I have conversations with people who talk, who like, you know, just talking about baseball and they, they say, well, you know, you look at the postseason and you see what starting pitch. And I say, well, I look at the postseason and I see how big the uh, the bullpens were. I mean, you have, when you talk about bullpen games in, you know, the World Series or in every round of the playoffs, actually. Um, but, you know, whether it's a day when you have like, uh, um, I remember we talked to somebody, uh, it may have been one of the guys uh, that I worked with where he's talking about the, um, the Phillies, um, divisional rounds playoff series and talking about, you know, Nola and Wheeler. And I'm like, yeah, well, Wheeler also had the day where he was came out and was shoving. And then they lost that game because, you know, he gave up a couple at, he gave up, I think two at the end, they end up, and then the bullpen gives up, you know, like three more. And it's like, yeah, he shoved for like six innings and they lost the game. It's like, that's, I mean, so um, the bullpen's going to be, like I say, I'm not going to say as big a piece, but it's definitely going to be a big part of, um, you know, that pitching, pitching, pitching equation. Because, you know, the when he said pitching, 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 he did not just say starting pitching. It's pitching overall, and that's going to be a big part of this offseason for them. Yeah, so one real quick question, one word answer right before we wrap up. So it's mid-November in like two weeks. Uh, Jeff Passan tweets, they're St. Louis Cardinals and so-and-so are in agreement on a contract gut reaction who is that two weeks um if we're thinking early um my guess would be gray that would be my guess um i don't you know that's just again that's just a guess um but uh and i'm like i say this is uh just sort of a uh a guess based off of past things that i I just sort of, sort of wonder if it might be a while for some of the other things that take place, just because, like I say, there's sometimes that picture that sets the market and then things follow from that. So I wonder if it might be in for a year where uh, or an off season where some things take a while to develop. But um, if there's something that's going to happen early, my guess would be gray, but I could definitely be wrong on that. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining us. This was an, an awesome conversation. Uh, again, we're really honored to have you. Um, viewers, please check out uh, Lynn Worthy's work at the Post-Dispatch. Also check out, he's got an awesome Twitter feed, at uh, LWorthySports. Um, once again, we just can't thank you enough for coming on and joining us. We'd love to have you on again in the future at some point. Uh, thanks for coming and talking baseball with us. We've got a couple really exciting um, episodes coming up as well for our viewers. So stay tuned. We've got more awesome guests uh, as the offseason continues to take shape. So I guess the ball's in the Cardinals court now. Do something interesting, and then we can break it down for you here. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely.